It's the morning show. Dan Richo and Randy Jando with you on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. So, um, Sean Burke going to join us uh, here in a couple of moments. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights director of goaltending, Stanley Cup champion, his name on the cup. Former Vancouver Canuck. Former Vancouver Canuck. Had a good career. Was a Vesna finalist That's at right. one point. Famously traded for Kirk McLean. Yes. That was a it was an interesting time in Canucks history. Yeah. Uh Sean played what, sixteen games that season? Yeah. Uh but since then, been very active in you mentioned Vegas before that Arizona and Phoenix. And also general manager of Team Canada, Spangler Cup, a few years ago. So he's been extremely active on many fronts. Uh, And uh, is going to join us here in a few moments. Uh, Still to come, uh, Paktoku later this hour. We'll see if uh, Sean Burke is a potential answer in our Puck Doku. We're going to get more into your Vancouver Canucks as well. Tristan Nielsen is going to join us in the final hour of the program. Just signed a contract with... The Vancouver Canucks entry level deal. So, uh, still some things the Canucks are looking to iron out and potentially do over the course of the offseason, but also taking care of their own as they continue to develop some promising prospects. Uh, did you know uh, today is National French Friday, Randy? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on now. You think I'm going to let that pass by and <laughs> not know that? Of course, man. Your go to is French fries, isn't it? Yeah, man. Potatoes are... As a vegetarian, French fries... You know you can get French fries at basically any restaurant. So. For sure. It's the go-to. Anywhere yeah. in the world. Anywhere in the world, you're, you're probably able to get some kind of potato or French fry. I, okay. You're you know Italian guy, so tomatoes are a big part of your life. Yes. Potatoes are almost the same thing for Punjabis. We put that mm-hmm. in everything. You know, everything? Back, back in the old country, it was like you, you did a lot of hard labor. You needed some, you know, yeah. you needed some oomph in your diet. You need some carbs filling. going. Yeah, you need the carbo starch. Now it just turns into fat. <laughs> but <laughs> we live more comfortable lives here. But yeah, it's a staple in every Punjabi diet. So, okay. Is there a best way to consume French fries? Or a best way to enjoy fries? Like, are you all the toppings possible? Poutine? Are you truffle fries guy? No, I'm not a truffle fries guy. No? No, no. Hmm. Not that guy. I'm more of like a... Are truffle fries the most, like, marked up product at restaurants in Vancouver? Yeah, I don't... I actually judge people. Like you're charging they're... me $13 for these truffle fries? It's just French fries. You shaved, like, three pieces of Parmesan cheese on it and pretend there's, like, a, a dash or two of truffle oil. Okay, That's it. it. They don't advertise on our station, but I hope they do one day. But if you go to Cactus Club yeah. and you get truffle fries... <laughs> you're judging instead of Instead of regular fries or... Dirty fries, which is our elite. I don't even know. What oh, the you got to go. I don't even know if they're open at nine a.m. But if, after the show, <laughs> I was going to suggest we go and grab some. They're elite. Yeah, but definitely not truffle fries. Uh, so, you know me, I'm not a. Uh, I am definitely not a poutine guy. No. So if I'm enjoying French fries here on National French Friday, I am not going for the poutine. I'm as basic as basic gets. Oh, I know. Give me a little salt and pepper on oh, my fries, on. and I am wait, wait, happier you're... than you could possibly be. Not even. I like... enjoy my fries like I enjoy original chips. Oh man, why are you gonna ruin good things like that? In just life? salt, just salt and pepper. Not even ketchup. Like, how about the old like, throw some salt or sorry, <laughs> some vinegar on there. Like... I mean, maybe once in a while. Yeah, man, throw some hot sauce on it. Sprinkle some hot sauce uh, on there. Like you know, everything. Once in a while, I might get adventurous and get you know Cajun fries or something. Like honey like mustard that. with the right fries hits. Yep, does. Chick Fil A sauce. Salt and pepper. <laughs> Jeez, reach. Uh, we got we got some tips coming in here. Fried with a mayo based dip. Hashtag Belgian fries. Okay, Belgian fries on Commercial Drive is elite for poutine though. Probably oh, my it? favorite in the city. Belgian fries. Many a 
have many nothing. a hangovers have been <laughs> have been spent at Belgian fries on commercial drive. Uh, it's Dan Riccio and Randy Jan. It's the morning show. Yes, uh, National French Friday. So keep your texts coming in. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. He is the director of goaltending with the Vegas Golden Knights. It is Sean Burke. Thanks for this, Sean. Uh, how's is the off season that much better when you when you know you're a Stanley Cup champion? Well, it's definitely been enjoyable, guys. Um, you know, I don't know if it's that much better because it's busy right away again. We had development camp, the draft, uh, all the all the normal stuff, but it was really gratifying. And, uh, you know, when you go through the playoffs, uh, it, it, as hard as that is to win, you, you really appreciate it. So, yeah, I've been enjoying the summer for sure. Yeah, and if anybody deserves maybe a week or two off, Sean, it's you. You were a very busy man this year. You had a, you know, a goalie rotation, a lot of injuries, a lot of things going on. Uh, before we get into that discussion, um, I know assistant coaches and, and directors uh, do get a, a day with the Stanley Cup. Uh, d- first of all, do you get one? And do you have yours planned out already? Yeah, yeah, I'm very fortunate to get my day with it. It's going to be in early September, uh, just, just by uh, logistics, the way the Cup's going to move around the country, uh, which is, you know, it's it's good with us. We're going to do it uh, which was real, real debate was uh, where to have it, but we're going to do it in Scottsdale, uh, Arizona, because uh, this is where most of my family is. My kids are all here now, and uh, Toronto was the other um, was the other choice because of where I grew up. But it just made more sense for for everybody who's going to be uh, uh, you know celebrating it with us. There's just more uh, uh, more people that are. It's easier to get to Scottsdale for them, so it'll it'll be fun and uh, we'll. we'll keep it fairly mellow and uh just enjoy it as a family and friends so uh it's kind of wild you know you you mentioned uh, you know things pick up back pretty quickly after that final game is 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 over is it kind of a whirlwind you you get to celebrate a couple of days with the cup and uh you know everybody's uh, in the organizations having a great time having that ultimate goal finally achieved and then it's like oh we've got the draft and free agency coming up i guess we got to get back to business yeah, there's a little bit of that, but I, you know, I really took it all in. Uh, I, I was lucky. I had most of um, my family. Four, four of my five kids were at the final game, uh, so we had, uh, you know, a lot of family that was there, able to celebrate right away on the ice after the game. That to me was uh, probably the most enjoyable part of the celebration. Was just the realization at that point that you've won the Stanley Cup and. Uh, and you know, seeing it on the ice, getting getting to hold it, um, sharing that with the crowd as well. Everybody stays in the building, so that that to me, and then of course the parade was a few days later. That was uh, uh, very impressive. The amount of people that showed up in Vegas, uh, how how incredibly excited the town was. And then after that, it's yeah, it's time to get back to normal. Even though we had the cup at the draft as well in Nashville, and had a little fun with it there as well. There, there was. There was plenty of time to enjoy it, and you're almost ready to get back to work, to be honest, after a few days of that. Looking back at the season, the playoffs, uh, obviously Aiden Hill was one of the, the stories of the playoffs, uh, <laughs> a great story during the uh, the parade as well. He was enjoying himself. But during the regular season, uh, you had five goaltenders that you had to go through. Uh, from a just a, you know, what kind of challenge did that present for you uh, working behind the scenes of making sure, A, you had the right people in place, but also that they were ready for those games that they had to play. Yeah, a lot of it was, was really by necessity. I mean, we just ended up having some injuries. And, and really, at the end of the day, we we had seven goaltenders. We had uh, Michael Hutchinson was with us for a while. He was going to play a game. We ended up trading him that day, or he would have got a start that night for us. Uh, and, of course, you know, Robin Leonard was, was supposed to start the season. He wasn't around, but... He was penciled in uh, for a long time to be the opening night starter. So it, there was a lot of juggling, but um, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, the, the credit really goes to the players. They they were ready. Every, every guy that got his opportunity came in and played well. Uh, Freddie Brathwaite did a great job for us in Henderson when the guys were down there in the minors. He had them ready. He kept them he kept them sharp. So when they did come up, um, they were ready to go and. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a team effort. Obviously, when you have that many players, uh, that many guys that play for you, uh, there's there's a lot of guys that help keep them ready. But ultimately, the players themselves were were very professional about it, and all and all played very well when they got the chance. 
you know, it, it, it's such a, a fascinating uh, concept to me, but, um, you know, director of goaltending with the Vegas Golden Knights, that's your title. You are the NHL goaltending coach as well. Freddie Brathwaite is working with the Silver Knights, and, you know, you've built out this program. H- how, um, you know, how much are you working in unison with Kelly McCrimmon and, and George McPhee in, in finding the right goalies that fit the way the Vegas Golden Knights want to play so that the these goalies, you know, their skill sets match what the Vegas Golden Knights do as, as a team? Well, there's definitely, um, you know, there, there's there's got to be some cohesion in that area if, if you're going to, you know, do it right. Uh, you know, we've been fortunate there, and, and I was fortunate coming into the situation They'd already drafted some, some you know, really good young goaltenders. Mike Rosati is also part of our, our goaltending department. He did a lot of work this year on the road, um, the scouting. He went down to Savannah and worked with our ECHL goalies at times. So when you you know, when you look at our department, we've got we've got Freddie as we mentioned, we've got Mike Rosati, we've got myself. Um, you know, we've got we've got a couple other scouts in our department that have played goal. Um, so I think that really at the end of the day, uh, it, it comes down to communication. When, when you're going to draft the goalie, there's certain attributes we're looking for in our organization, and you're never you're never going to be uh, perfect. It's not an exact science, but I think we have a good plan with that. And um, at the end of the day, it's it's the commitment the organization makes as well. You got to have that from the top down, where they have. Um, you know, they have a belief that, that we need to do this and that they're going to put the resources into it. And, and that's one thing Vegas has done an extremely good job about, among, amongst other things, is, uh, you know, having the resources and putting them into these different areas so that you can, you, can, you know, make uh, really informed decisions at the end of the day. Sean, what were those conversations like before you, uh, you traded for uh, Aiden Hill? Uh, was this a guy that you'd watched very closely in San Jose? And what were those conversations uh, you know, whether with McCrimmon or, or McPhee and making that happen. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny. They they weren't very long discussions because we were sort of, I won't say desperate, but we needed to make things happen in a hurry. We we just had some injuries. Laurent Brassois, um, he wasn't ready to play. Uh, you know, Logan Thompson was was our only goaltender that had any experience, and he, you know, he's a, a second year player really. So I think you know it was really just the not not just our management but our our analytics department um our hockey operations had a list of guys that they had put together that were either available or could be available through a trade and uh we went through the list we we checked off names guys that we felt uh, would be a possible fit and then it really just came down to Aiden Hill at that point being what we felt was not only our best option at the moment but a guy that still had upside in his game. Um, we could move forward if, if at the end of the day uh, we we had a goaltending glut, then uh, we wanted somebody and, and we wanted goaltenders that were going to be desirable to other teams as well. And uh, and so really the decision came down to him at that point being uh, the guy that fit all our needs uh, and, and ended up being the guy that you know we knew had some upside um, but of course you can't predict at that time that he's going to come in and win a Stanley cup. Uh, but it worked out really well because there was a lot of people who did a lot of work to make sure we identified, uh, the guys that would fit our organization, him, him being the top guy. From, from your perspective and, and how you go about getting your, the goalies ready on a day-to-day basis and, and making sure that they are, you know, always ready for whatever challenge may come in front of them. Um, you know, cause goaltending it's, uh, I mean, I, I try to talk to goalie guys to understand it better, but it's always going to be a little bit of a, a hard area for me to get into Sean. But, you know, one of the things that has often come up is, you know, sometimes guys can lose their technique and, you know, they just, they need a bit of a reset. How do you go about, you know, getting your guys through the day to day and making sure that they maintain their form, their technique through the course of the season? Yeah, it's it's really just attention to details in in most cases. Um, you know, this is uh, at this level we're we're, we're working with uh, you know really really high end athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not you're not working with guys that you need to you know teach the basics to. You have to work on those. You have to stay sharp with with your game. But I really think it comes down to ultimately the confidence in the athlete and how you how you bring that out of them. How you get them to 
believe in themselves. And a lot of times, most of it's just managing that, making sure that when they have a tough night, you bounce back the next game, you, you get right back at, at your game. That they make the commitment. Uh, I've I've been very fortunate with all the guys I've ever worked with. Um, they've all wanted to get better. They've all wanted to learn. They they felt they had more to their game. And for me personally, having played so long, uh, you know, I think I have a little bit of a uh, I get I get a sort of a respect factor from the guys right off the bat that you know I'm here to help you. I've had my day. Um, this isn't really about me or me trying to force anything on you this is me trying to help you get your game to the best level you can get it to so that's really always been my approach is that I'm working with great athletes to begin with and and how do I get them to feel good about their game and be confident um you know within of course the technical side of it where there's still things you have to work on there's still um areas of your game that you always need to keep improving but it's 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 worked well and Again, I, I always go back to the, the player himself. If you're committed to doing that and you're going to show up every day and work hard and, and want to be a, a better player, then you can, you can get a long way in this league. Sean, we've uh, seen what you can do as, as a goalie coach and director of goaltending. Uh, you've been a professional scout. Uh, you've been GM of Team Canada at the Olympics and the Spengler Cup. Uh, seen you also linked to, to GM jobs in the past in the NHL. Is that an area that you'd like to, to pursue uh, further as well? You know, you're doing a great job at the goaltending position, but uh, is the general manager job uh, an area that, uh, that you'd still like to, to eventually get into at some point? Well, I, I always look at it more in terms of challenges. Uh, you know, I, I have been very, very fortunate, uh, have, you know, worked uh, hard uh, at all areas of the game since I stopped playing, gained the experience to be able to do different things in, in the game, but mostly because I, I like the challenges of the different areas. The goaltending side to me is obviously it's a very important part of every team, so I feel that when I'm in that role, uh, it's it's very specific. Um, it's something that I feel I have a very good handle on. But I've really enjoyed the managing side of the game, uh, helping put teams together, put staffs in place. Really, I, I've always felt that it, in in most jobs uh, that I've had, it really comes down to managing. Even when you're coaching, you're really managing to a degree. You're working with people. You're trying to, uh, as I said earlier, get the most out of them. Try to get them to feel good about their game. And that's really, I think, what, what you do when you're managing teams, too. You're, you're putting people in the right chairs. You're helping them, uh, g- give them the ability to do their job, hopefully get the most out of them. And uh, and so I don't really look at it in terms of what the next step is. I, I look at it like I have a job to do. I'm going to do it the best I can. And then whatever else comes along, if, if, it, if it's a fit or if it makes sense or it's it's something that I'll, I'll enjoy, then I kind of look at it that way and uh, – and again, I've been real lucky because most people don't get the opportunity to be the GM of Team Canada, a coach, do the scouting, managing all these different areas. Um, so that's that's where I feel very fortunate in the game. Sean, really appreciate your time, your insights this morning. Congrats again on being a Stanley Cup champion. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it. Sounds really good when you say it that way. (laughs) Not bad, right? Uh, Not a problem. Enjoy it. Thanks, Sean. Uh, There is uh, Sean Burke, uh, Vegas Golden Knights Director of Goaltending, and yes, also a Stanley Cup champion uh, now with the Vegas Golden Knights. Did not get it through the course of his career, but does get it uh, as a member of a team in a coaching role. So uh, there it is. Sean Burke, really good insights on uh, building out a goaltending uh, department, a depth chart, what you're looking for, what you're trying to find as you try to match your team's stylistic play with goalies that fit into that sort of a system. And, you know, I mentioned five goalies, but he's yeah, yeah he had seven, right? Two that didn't play. So, uh, check yourself. Check yeah. the stats. Oh, come right? on now. <laughs> well, the stats say that those two other guys didn't play, right? So, That's true. Um, but that speaks to the, the preparation behind the scenes of you still have to prepare these goalies. You yeah. still have the, you know, out of season programs that they're working on this, mm-hmm. the work that you have to do, uh, whether it's Robin Leonard or, you know, rehab and all of that, like there's so many things that are going on. And that Stanley Cup is well-earned for, for Sean Burke because he had to put in some work this year. There's a high level of trust in the Canucks director of goaltending. And that is Ian Clark. Um, you know, he got a five-year deal, ton of security. You don't often see that for a goalie coach, but 
Ian Clark earned it and has done so well uh, here in Vancouver developing Thatcher Demko. We see how Arthur Silovs has come along, what he did even before Demko with Markstrom and getting Markstrom to a point that he struggled to get to despite being one of the biggest and best goalie prospects many, many years ago before he finally found that potential here in Vancouver with Ian Clark. Did it with Ilya Brzgalov um, back in the day. And even uh, Bobrovsky, sorry, is what I was looking yep. for, uh, winning Veznas in, in, in Columbus. But this year, there is something that is a little bit puzzling about how the Canucks have set up their goaltending depth chart. It does not look like they're going to sign another veteran. So... For the way it stands right now, you're going into the season with Thatcher Demko and Spencer Martin Arthur Silovs battling it out for the backup position. It'll probably end up being Martin just because, you know, you want Silovs to get as many games as possible. The depth is not quite there. If you look at, you know, Thatcher Demko, we know what he can be. We know when he's playing his his game, he can be a top five goaltender, top six goaltender in the league. We've seen that. We've seen that in a pretty decent sample size. Now, beyond that, though, Reach. You probably and, don't want him playing 55. You don't. More than 55 games. Even heading into last year, in the offseason, had a conversation on these airwaves with Ian Clark, and the number he was really looking at was 58 to 60, maybe 62. Yeah. Um, obviously, the injury happens, and Spencer Martin has to lean in a little bit more. Colin Delia has to play more games. Uh, it doesn't work out the way you want it to, but Reach, you still need Spencer Martin to take that step up. Now, what's changed where you might have a little bit more confidence? It's the hope that this team in front of the goaltenders will make life easier for any goaltender, right? And and that's where the Vegas example is one to keep an eye on, where this team had big defensemen, tough to play against, that could move the puck. And they have really you know, the most balanced you know, defensive unit. And that's why they won the Stanley Cup. Like, they had some players up front, no question. But Vegas, they helped their goaltenders. They were winning those puck battles. They were blocking everything that got in sight, essentially. And that's something that the Canucks are trying to remedy that. They're yeah. trying to be a team that helps out their goaltenders. Well, part of the reason Spencer Martin struggled so much last year is because the Canucks were just basically Swiss cheese defending in Seam front of passes, him. passes, right? Yeah. Right through the middle. And it pick crushed his confidence. It, hey, even Thatcher Demko had to deal with those. Yep. Remember those penalty kill uh, struggles? Were, they were there when Thatcher Demko was healthy, too. It's not like it just popped up when he got injured. And Demko raved about how much easier his reads became once Tockett became head coach and the Canucks started playing with a little bit more structure defensively. So when you're looking at the depth of that goaltending unit i yeah I, that's a that's a bit of a, a yellow flag for me because you're saying all right something happens if Thatcher Demko has to miss a couple of weeks are you set up to have a goaltender fill in to play not necessarily that level but hopefully you don't drown without Thatcher Demko that's a real concern yeah. but one thing we have to keep in mind is that they're trying to change the way that they defend they're trying to be better in zone. They're trying to be tougher to play against. They're trying to limit second, third chance opportunities, which were a plenty last year. And they're trying to be better when it comes to defending in the rush. Uh, you know, and that's something that Rick Tockett mentioned a couple of days ago here on Sportsnet 650 as well. So I would say, yes, it is something that you probably have concern about. But the types of defending that we saw last year, like if they come back with that, I don't care who's in net, you're in trouble. I, I, I don't think they can do that. I think there's going to be a real focus this season. Yeah. And that's why you have Ian Cole and Carson Soucy as a part of this team is that they're going to defend very differently. It's still not the most confidence-inducing that Spencer Martin is lining up as your backup. Look, our, our, our last views of Martin, he sort of got his game back on track with the Abbotsford Canucks, but really struggled at the NHL level last year. And relatively, like, doesn't have a ton of NHL experience, a big NHL track record, Spencer Martin. Arthur Silovs, while he may be the next one and has the talent to be an NHL starter, he's still at a stage in his career where you want to get him as many games 
as possible. So being a backup isn't exactly a great situation for him. They didn't really sign a veteran. You know, they've got Talapilo. They signed Zach Sachenko. They've got and built out a little bit of depth there, but it's not a veteran. And they looked in the veteran goalie market, weren't able to find something that worked for them. You know, most of those guys, especially veterans, even if they are going to be guys that maybe get sent down, they're usually on one-way contracts. So they're getting paid, you know, at least league men or eight hundred, nine hundred thousand then to play in the AHL. And you don't want to block Spencer Martin from getting games. You don't want to block Talapilo from getting games. They didn't draft anybody this year. So they very focused on developing some of these guys. But in case of an injury, it does leave the Canucks potentially in a bit of a dark spot. Now, if Demko does get hurt, I do imagine Silovs comes up and plays the starter role ahead of Martin. That's at least how I would handicap it as it stands right now. But it's still something that, you know, is a little bit surprising for a team that is hoping to have playoff aspirations for next year. Yeah, and listen, we can all be happy with the direction that Seelovs is going, right? World Championships, yes. the guy was the talk of the tournament. Uh, there's so much potential there, but it gets real in October when the season starts. Yeah. Like, I, I think them not signing a guy essentially is a tip of the cap to just how highly they think of Seelovs. I understand that, but it's yep. also his first go around at this. Like, if you're thrust into the starter's job, just like that's Martin go time. was last year. Yeah, it doesn't. You can have all the hype in the world and all the the work ethic and the the right mentality. Sometimes too soon is just too soon. It's like going from being the uh, the setup man to being the closer. And it's like all of a sudden the the lights and, and and getting it done in the ninth inning just it's a lot more pressure on your shoulders. right? Exactly. Right. Like yeah. not everybody can be a Mariana Rivera. Sometimes you're a Billy Koch. <laughs> Hey, Koch had one good year. That's my point. Yes. <laughs> right? Like, you got to have, you got to be ready for that moment. Not yeah. to say you won't be ready for that moment, but to have, especially veteran goaltenders in the past two years that were available for basically nothing, Aiden Hill, who San Jose traded. Yeah. But even in free agency last year, Phoenix Copley was a guy that was available for probably the same price as Colin Delia. Yeah. And how valuable was he? To the LA Kings last year. Now he's going to be uh, the 1A in the LA Kings net with Pretty much. Ken Talbot. Life moves fast, right? Yeah. I don't know if that's a great situation for the LA Kings, but the point is you can get value at those positions. And, you know, some names are still out there, but this all comes down to price point. Is there a desperate need, as Sean Burke was talking about, where they're kind of desperate when they traded for Aiden Hill yeah, and they had to make a move? Or, you know, in training camp, do both of these young goaltenders young in experience for Spencer Martin, young in age for Archer Seelhoffs. Do they show you something that instills that much more confidence in you? How well are the Canucks doing to build out depth in the organization, not just from the goaltending side, but also in the forward group, on the defensive side? We're going to talk to Tristan Nielsen later, but how well are the Canucks doing in building out some of that depth that was left behind by the previous management group? That's coming up next. Plus, today's Puck Doku. Make sure you're getting in on it. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. If you want to get a head start on it, you can, because we're going to need your help for today's Puck Doku at 745. It's Stan Richo, Randy Janda. You're listening to The Morning Show. Morning show, Dan Richo and Randy Janda. You're on a Thursday. And this Thursday, also known as the day after the ESPYs. Not a lot going on. If you want ESPYs takes, <laughs> hit up the first hour of the podcast. No, we didn't have any ESPYs takes. No, we didn't. Uh, we spent more time on the Whitecaps than we have in a very, very long time. But uh, word is uh, Coach Vanny Sartini will join us uh, tomorrow morning. After uh, getting into it a little bit with the ref last night, uh, also uh, maybe a little bit of a war of words with the head coach of Austin FC. So uh, Vanny Sartini, always uh, always getting a rise out of somebody, it would seem, 
in some of his antics. Uh, we'll talk to Vanny tomorrow. Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I have a plan for tomorrow's show. Oh, do you? Uh, for those of you that Get know... Get Vanny to sing uh, Nickelback? Yeah, I was going to say like more of a dueling pianos thing where you do Pearl Jam, he does Nickelback, and I just sit here not doing anything. I could do uh, I could do Nickelback too. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a lot of Nickelback on the show. Mm, it is is definitely uh, way too much Nickelback on the show. Uh, Chris and Duncan asks, "What the bleep is Puck Doku?" We've been playing it all week, Chris. Where where have you been? It's oh. it's a hit. Yes, uh, there's a couple of people like what was a I forget the guy's name. Guy in the streets, I believe his name was. Yes, guy in the streets. Not a fan, but he keeps on listening. Yes. He does keep on listening, doesn't he? Uh, well, Paktoku today, I, I've got a little preview of it. It's going to be a tough one. Like, Carolina. Like, anytime you have Vegas in it, it's kind of hard because there's not a lot of okay. players that have played for Vegas yet. So, so your score is not going to be the lowest then. Yeah, we, we okay. might we might struggle with the uniqueness score today. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, let us know. 6.50, 6.50, if you'll be playing along, 7.45, we get to today's Pakdoku and we try to group success it with the lowest uniqueness score possible. Yesterday we were at 44, which is our high score of the week to this point. All right, Stan Richo and Randeep Janda here on The Morning Show. Tristan Nielsen's going to join us in about an hour's time, Randeep, and he is one of the good stories of the last 12 months. One of the things this management group did when they came in, they started signing players like Tristan Nielsen, Arshdeep Baines, local guys, even uh, Alec Canuck Leapert, uh, you know, guys that were maybe even playing for the Vancouver Giants that they had an extra good look at scouting wise and maybe weren't drafted and finish their junior days and are looking for a place to play. And it's like, Hey, well, we've got a spot potentially with the Abbotsford Canucks and they've had some success doing that and potentially finding guys that may one day play a role at the NHL level. Tristan Nielsen is that certainly our steep Baines is, is, is that too. It's uh, it's actually one of the, the really strong things. Some, one of the really positive things that this management group has done since taking over. And it's something that they said right off the bat where, whether they're CHL free agents, whether they're collegiate free agents, European free agents, that was an area of focus. Can you win along the fringes? Yeah. Can you get those W's? And with Arshdeep Bantz and, you know, Tristan Nielsen, there's a certain profile there. And I think with Arshdeep, it's interesting because when he left the CHL, we saw the, the point totals when he was with Red Deer. Yep. Unbelievable. Led the CHL in scoring that year as an overager. But there were still questions of, all right, can he – can he play more of a pro-style game? And last year, from the start of the season to the end of the season, having some conversations with folks in Abbotsford and the AHL, they said he was the most improved player on the team. And now reliable where you can obviously rely on him 5-on-5, five five, but you know somebody that plays in all situations. So are you seeing the growth in that depth? Tristan Nielsen, another player, excited to talk to him a little later on in the show, uh, a unique personality on the ice. You need... Players that are going to be in the mix, that are not going to shy away. Kind of the the Jonathan Marchessault example, right? Not the biggest of guys, yeah. but who was in the mix every single time out there? Who is scoring the big goals? Who is not shying away from the area of the ice that you're going to take a beating sometimes? Character, right? Yep. And that's one of those words that we're coming back to with this organization is that between the ears, have they been able to recruit a certain type of personality? Players that have drive and a certain type of character that they want to get better. And those are the types of moves along the fringes that you have to do in a cap world. We saw Rutherford do that in Pittsburgh. We're seeing Alvin do that to a certain extent. You can build out depth that way. It might not be home run hitting depth, but you need guys that can fit in, whether it's on the back end or in the bottom six, that can give you games in the NHL, that can give you games in the AHL uh, as well. And you're starting to see a little bit of that here over the last year or so. Now, I'm sure the um, Abbotsford Canucks are going to maybe sign a, a couple of veteran forwards at some point, but if you think about who could play for Abbotsford this year and is on 
an an NHL contract, an entry level contract, even the oldest players right now in the forward group would be Linus Carlson, Aiden McDonough, and Tristan Nielsen at 23 years old. So think about where they were when Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford took over this group. They had a very veteran-laden AHL team. You know, yeah, the AHL team in Abbotsford was just starting up, and they wanted to make sure that it was good, get the people excited to go to games there at the Abbotsford Center. But it's changed quickly how they've turned over that roster. They've found credible NHL talent, at least young players with aspiring NHL talent, and it started to really fill out that Abbotsford Canucks crew, especially in the forward group. You think of Max Sasson, I thought he was one of the standout players of the Dev Camp scrimmage that we went to watch just last week. He's just 22. Josh Bloom really showing out after they traded Riley Stillman for him and got him out of the Buffalo Sabres. They've got a real good project in Atu Ratu. Danila Klimovich took a huge step last year. Like They've really started to build out some credible NHL prospects within that system. And you mentioned development camp. Uh, Akito Hirose is another player that yep. I know he's a little older, and he's probably going to feature at the NHL level, but the fact is that you've been able to acquire a player that other teams are interested in, and now you've got some depth. You've got some competition within the group that is going to give you NHL games. Cole McWard, you know, obviously there's a long way to go. I think Hirose was a little bit more... Cooler, calmer, but he's also two years older than Cole McCord. We should yeah. take that into consideration. Uh, but gives you options where you're going to get players seasoned in the AHL, and they could give you games similar to... Well, know, McCord, a- they got him to come out of college early. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, so that's that's a credit to the player, and, and that's why I think maybe when you're comparing Hiroshi versus McCord last year, there's a, there's a reason Hiroshi looks... He's a good player, but there's also an age difference there too, right? But the... The aim here would be, in a perfect world, I think the Canucks are are headed in this direction, is that you're building a culture in Abbotsford that the leap is not a significant one to the NHL in the sense that your role or what you're doing in Abbotsford is very similar to what's expected in Vancouver. And that's the Wilkes-Barre model that they used to have in Pittsburgh, where a player like a Brian Rust goes from the AHL team and is playing, you know, maybe bottom six and then top six and it's like the transition is seamless where you have players like Dumoulin and Ian Cole that can work their way through an organization and they are seamlessly just dropped into that lineup starting to see elements of that like Billy Giuseppe is a classic example Uh, and look their pro scouting has been pretty strong uh, since since taking over look it's not all peaches and roses of everything that Patrick Alvin and and Jim Rutherford have done but uh, I think credit is uh, you know credit given where it's due and in this area, I think they've done a really good job. They still like lack a little bit at the top end of you know the prospect system, but they've started to find some players that credibly can be grown into guys that can fill out the bottom of the roster. So that way they don't have to go out and keep spending to fill out spots in the bottom six of their forward group or on the bottom pair on D. Those are things that have sort of crush this team. It's death by a thousand cuts when it comes to the salary cap, and they can't keep doing that, especially as the top of their roster with Pedersen and, and, and others is going to get more expensive. What I would say is sort of the um, the spot that needs to be bettered for the organization. Like, you're pretty good at the top, right? You've got Pedersen, Miller, Kuzmenko, Hughes, Hronick as essentially your big five. You've done decently well to build out the bottom of the lineup at the NHL level too, especially this year, getting guys to to fill out those roles, more players to fill out those roles. But what's lacking for the Canucks is that extra bit of depth in the middle, like quality depth, guys that really score at a good secondary rate. Now, maybe that comes back with Besser bouncing back, Mikheyev back from injury, Garland being a, you know, kind of third-line savant. Yeah. Potentially, that's all perfect world, peachy scenarios playing out. But that's what I would say is 
what is lacking right now for the Canucks is that secondary level of, you know, things that are really going to take your team to a next level. You have two problems in that section where you have a couple of prospects that you're expecting to take a step. Yeah. Niels Hoaglander, Vasily Podkolzin, we talked about them yesterday at length. They haven't done that yet, but they're still young. There's still time. This year is big for them. This summer is big for them, as Rick Tockett has mentioned numerous times. The other thing is you have players further up the lineup, mm-hmm. especially the pay grade, that are not earning their money. Quite yeah. simply, right? Yep. And when you start looking at the good teams in the NHL, there are players that have to outperform their contracts, especially in that range. Like your stars are going to guide the ship, but do you have the second, third line guys that are earning their money? And right now, as of last season, that middle part of the lineup was not working in that regard. It can change. Brock Besser coming in, you know, next year, obviously there's a lot of drama last year, a lot of conversation around him has come in a lot freer. Is he able to, you know, be in good shape? Can he hit the ground running? That's something that's going to be important. The third line, Connor Garland, he's got a different type of center playing, more of a, you know, a four checker, aggressive style. Connor Garland can be the main piece on that third line as far as play driving is concerned. Could he, could he like, you know, earn that contract? I could see it. I think he's a good player to begin with, but they haven't had that. They haven't had, and the Sedins mentioned this when they got hired. This lineup, this organization needs players that outperform their contracts. Middle part of that lineup hasn't happened. It's um, it's where like look at Vegas, right? You know they have Pietrangelo, they have Shea Theodore, they have Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, and then what took them over the top in the playoffs? It was Ivan Barbashev. It was Jonathan Marchessault winning the Conn Smythe with twelve goals. William Carlson, Chandler Stevenson. It's not always, it's not so much about your fourth line stepping up in big moments, but like the Canucks, if you build out the Canucks' best five players and put them on a line together, especially now that they've got Philip Aronic. Wait, wait, Reach, are you saying depth is not overrated? I'm not saying that because the conversation when we had that conversation was different. Yeah, I'm I'm bringing out receipts from two years ago. Yeah, that conversation was different. The Canucks secondary scoring is where they lack the most because I think their, their top five guys can go up almost against anybody else's in the league. It's the next group that really lacks. They're getting beat on their second line, their third line type of thing. And that's where you need those, those players, the vets that have had those games, the points, but also these young guys, right? Vasily Pod Colson, you, I know it's asking a lot for a player that hasn't even played North America very much to be the next Barbashev. One thing we forget about Ivan Barbashev is that he played in the queue. Yeah. Right? He played in the AHL. It was not like he was dropped into North America and learned the game. It was an absolute beast that was reverse hitting and drilling dudes. No. There was a there was a significant runway. Vasily's got a, a steeper learning curve. But the expectation is that you play that two-way game. You play a little bit with a bit of a snarl in your game. You're going to have to hit at some point. And that's where the depth is great for the Canucks along the fringes. But how do you become really competitive is that you hit draft picks, you hit trades, and you hit free agency. And that's still – you still have to do that if you're Patrick Elfie. Tristan Nielsen going to join us uh, coming up after 8.30. After 8 o'clock, we'll get into uh, some of the all-star fallout out of Seattle with Bob Condotta. But right now, it's time for Puck Doku. This text, the best thing about Puck Doku is that it isn't password. Fair enough. Uh, we've already got some answers coming in. 650, 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. That's where you can get in your answers for Pakdoku. So the way it works, it's a nine-box cell, and each box you've got to fill out a player that fits the criteria. So in the first box this morning, it is Carolina and Las Vegas. You have to find a player that's played at least one game for Carolina and Las Vegas. And, of course, you can only use that player once throughout the entire puck doku. So, Vegas doesn't give us a lot of options for Carolina and Las Vegas. The obvious one... Is there an obvious one? Max Pacioretty. Yep. Uh, The not-so-obvious one is Dylan Coughlin. Yes. Anything else? Paul Stastny. 
Paul Stastny works. That's another one. That's pretty good. Paul Stastny or Dylan Coughlin would have more answers. I feel like answers. D- Dylan Coughlin is still the not so obvious one. Okay. I think that's the one we have to go with. All right, we're going Dylan Coughlin. Uh, that is a five percenter. It's not bad. Nice job, Randy. It's not bad. Uh, next up is Carolina and San Jose. Uh, very obvious answer, Brent Burns. Okay. Can we look into the future and say Eric Carlson now? <laughs> there was one text, and this is uh, this is pretty good. Uh, former Vancouver Canuck as well, Jordan and Langley saying Archer's Urbe for Carolina yeah, San Jose. That's good. I was going to go more current. Yep. Stephen Lawrence. Okay, Stephen Lorenz. Yeah, yeah Lorenz. Um, but Archer Zorbe, I like that one. Uh, other answers, I think uh, Ian White would work. Okay. That's really uh, out of there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ray Whitney also. We got to go with the dated references. So it's. I think Whitney would be a good one. Whitney or Urbe. Let's go with Jordan and Langley. Okay. Since he uh, sent it in on the text message inbox. Archer's. Urbe going to be the answer. 7% on Urbe, so that's a good one. All right, Carolina players that have more than 100 penalty minutes in a single season. Okay, I got two that – the enforcer era, I know we how we feel about fighting, but yep. there's two enforcers that jump into my mind right away. The Grim Reaper, Stu Grimson. Yes. And Sandy McCarthy. Sandy McCarthy. At the end of his career, if I'm not mistaken, Sandy McCarthy – suited up for the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, I was just going to go with Jeff O'Neill. No, that's too obvious, man. It's <laughs> too obvious. That's not obvious. Jeff O'Neill was like a 40-goal scorer. Stu Gripman. Eh. People don't remember him as a guy who but would... Bates Battaglia? Some, oh, Your boy? I don't know about Bates Battaglia. Enrico Ciccone? I don't know if those guys uh, ha- played ended long up enough. with more than 100 minutes. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I feel like Stu Grimson would be... We can go the safe Jeff O'Neill if you want. Yeah. Uh, Sandy McCarthy. Wow. Did he play with Carolina? Or am I just imagining him in that jersey? He did. I don't think he uh, ended up with okay. 100 power right. minutes, though. So you're wrong on that one. Right. We're not going to put that in. It's going to ruin our pucked ochre. Fine. Jeff O'Neill it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jeff O'Neill is going in as a Carolina Hurricane. Uh, Enrico Ciccone. Did he have 100 pims with Carolina, though? That's That's the question. A risky one. Did he get enough games? Yeah. Uh, we'll go Jeff O'Neill. Um, All right. O Dog is going in. All right. Now we got Anaheim Vegas connection. Shea Theodore is the obvious. Yeah. Anaheim and Vegas. Yeah, man, Vegas really complicates things. Uh, Shea Theodore. Oh, uh, Ben Hutton. That's right. That's right. So there's an easy one. Okay. Good. 2%. Anaheim, San Jose. Now, I only know this because we've been doing this for so long and we've had this person on the show. But Anaheim, San Jose, wouldn't Robin Bauer work? Great reference, yeah. I completely (laughs) forgot about that one. I know him so well. I talked to him regularly and I forgot about that connection. Uh, sorry, Robin, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> and he listens to the station, too, so I'm probably going to get a text. I feel like Robin Bauer, all due respect, might be a 0%. <laughs> he, he might be a NHL 94. He's in the inaugural Anaheim Ducks team. Yeah. With, like, Terry Yake and, and a bunch of other dudes. So, yes, I think that might be a – that might be a – put some respect on my uh, Bauer's name here. I'll give it a half percenter. Uh, Robin Bauer, 0.2%. Okay. We'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, all right. 100 pims in a single season for the Anaheim Ducks. We're getting ripped for not using Enrico Ciccone. But I mentioned him, all right? I wasn't sure if he would play the... Like, yeah. That era, of course he got 100 pims. All right. Anaheim. <laughs> Stu Grimson would work here. Stu Grimson would work, yeah. Does Juice work here? I guess so. Different era hockey, though. George Peros. Would Peros be the most common answer? Peros. I think Grimson would be the guy here. Peros would be too obvious. Let's go Grim Reaper. we got to speed it up. Yep. Sorry if we're not uh, given enough time to let your answers come in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. 4% on Stu Grimson. 650-650. Columbus and Vegas. Bill Carlson, the easy one here. Yeah. I don't know too many others. 
No, I don't either. Let's Columbus, let's, Vegas. Uh, we'll go to the next box, see if uh, our listeners can bring it in. Uh, next one is Columbus and San Jose. Anything with Columbus is not easy either. No. They've been, they've been around for a while, but nobody really remembers anything that they did. Uh, I know this because he was uh, a piece in the Phil Kessel trade. Harrington. Yeah. Scott Harrington, was it? Scott Harrington. Yeah, not Joey Harrington. Scott <laughs> Harrington. <laughs> All right. That's a good one. I don't think there's going to be too much there. Uh, so we'll go with Scott Harrington. All right. 100 pins. 100 pins. There's a ton for Columbus. This Jody one's Shelley. Easy. Jody Shelley, uh, Derek Dorsett. Yeah. Um, I think Shelley is probably the guy that I, both of them are. Not Jared Bull. That's right. He had a couple of. Not to be confused with Manute Bull. <laughs> yeah, very different. <laughs> <laughs> very different physiques. Uh, let's go. Mike let's go. G is coming in with Rusty Klesla. Rusty. Uh, that would be the. I I. Did, Ru- the, did Rostislav yeah. Klesla ever have a hundred pins in no, his career? No. Uh, I think the the right answer there is bull. I'd uh, go. I'd go. B O L. No relation Jared to Manute. Bull. No relation to Manute. Man, there's who the heck is Buzz Bull? <laughs> Stop playing in 1944. All right, good for him. Uh, Jared Bull, 24 percent. Ah, that's oh, a bad answer. All right. All right, we got to go back to Vegas, Columbus, right? Yeah. I think the obvious one is Carlson. We don't have much time. We're way late. Yeah, we are. All right, let's go with it. Bill Carlson. We're not going to beat our... uh... (laughs) We're definitely not going to beat our uniqueness score today, but 147 still ain't bad. Not bad, man. Like Columbus, Vegas, and this Carolina? Um, Mike G's going to rip us forever for not using his answer of Rusty Klesla. That's what we should have done. He had 100 pims? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to right, we'll have we'll to check. check it out on uh, Hockey DB. I uh, appreciate all the texts that we did get, even those that we did not maybe listen to when we should have. Okay, I I, I apologize both to Robin Bawa and Manny Malhotra, who are <laughs> both Punjabi players that should have been in Pakdoku today. I failed my community. Yes, Randeep, you have failed your. Community. I brought out more Italian names than Punjabi <laughs> names today. It's Dan Richo, Randeep Chanda. You're listening to the morning show.